So the lecture you're about to hear is from Psychology and Biology 3506, Neuropharmacology from Algoma University. I, I'm the instructor, Dave Broadbeck, uh, Dr. Dave Broadbeck. So um, I hope you like it. Uh, I hope you get something out of it. Fr frankly, I only hope you get something out of it if you're one of my students. If you're not, that's great. And I'm glad you're listening in on a university class you're not taking. Fine. Um, but yeah. Uh, so without further ado, let's listen to a little intro of a song and then a lecture. All right, so today what we'll do is we'll finish talking about nicotine, we'll talk about caffeine, we're going to talk about the legal drugs today, we're going to talk about one legal one that's really bad for you and one that's pretty harmless. Uh, so we'll finish talking about nicotine then by talking about the bad things about nicotine. Um, well, lung disease, <laughs> you know, it's like, you're sucking smoke in your, you're sucking smoke in your lungs, that can't be good for you. Oh, it's also the cancer. I mean, I'm gonna just gloss over this quickly because I think you all know. And if you don't, just go to a corner store and say, can I look at a pack of cigarettes? Because there's a big freaking warning on it. By the way, those warnings work. The Canadian and Australian, we both use really graphic, really big warnings, they work. No, it doesn't work like they have in the States. No, apparently some people think this is bad, as it says in the site. Something like that. Uh, but our, our worries work. Uh, birth defects, like, you shouldn't smoke when you're pregnant. You shouldn't smoke when you're not pregnant, but do whatever you want. But when you're pregnant, there's somebody else in there. <laughs> so you gotta kind of be a little bit responsible. Um, is there a safe level of smoking? I don't know. I can tell you that my friend Anne, who is from France, I told you about her, and, and she had a kid, and her doctor in France said, cut down your drinking, maybe one glass of wine a day. He also said, if you smoke, maybe you don't want to But that's France. Uh, it's totally different there. I'll say that I wouldn't smoke. I'll also say that I was around cigarettes a lot, and as a, as a little kid, and my dad smoked, my dad almost invented smoking, he smoked so much for a time. Uh, and uh, I don't know, I'm okay. Still, that doesn't mean that's anecdotal. That doesn't matter. You know what matters? Science. Don't smoke when you're pregnant. Uh, heart disease. Oh, yeah. Also that. So the carbon monoxide that you're inhaling, you know, the thing that is people die from the poison. Uh, and the nicotine actually make your heart work hard uh, without any reason, and that's just not good for you. So we all know these things, right? We know that it's tobacco is it's not healthy. And you might think, oh well, I just maybe you chew tobacco. Well then you'll just get mouth. And oh, but I smoke cigars that give you cancer. Like there's no safe way. There are safer ways. Vaping is safer than smoking. Like way safer. The lung disease and much much of the things, for example heart disease. It's still bad for you. Nicotine isn't great for you. The smoke is really bad for you. As I, I guess you could probably imagine, like, do you ever sit around a campfire and just breathe it in on purpose? No, what if most of us get up and go, I can't believe the smoke always follows me around. There's always that one guy that says that. Everybody says that. But you wouldn't breathe it in, but when you're smoking a cigarette, you're just sucking that stuff right into your lungs. And by the way, delicious. Um, so, secondhand smoke. Um, I think maybe we maybe overreacted a bit to secondhand smoke. I'm not saying, you know, uh, so if you hung out with Dale Gribble, get a lot of smoke. Um, yeah, this was based on, we started people, when I say we, I mean society, got really worked up about secondhand smoke. By the way, justifiably so. Justifiably so. In the, in the early 90s, based on some stuff that, taken on its own, we would normally not make these decisions. So this had 650 lung cancer patients versus 1,542 healthy patients. And they found out that if people had secondhand smoke in their home, the risk ratio, in other words, that one is where you start out without if you don't smoke. 1.167 or 1.16 at home, so it goes up by 16%, 17% at work. But it was the best, it was plus or minus 0.25. So you could actually interpret that that secondhand smoke was actually safer. It's not. It's not, okay? It's not. It's bad for you. What I'm saying is that 
at the time, it really felt like an overreaction. And we normally don't make public health decisions based on data that are this flimsy. Okay. Um, and in the States, this, that was a lot more data now. This was, again, when these le the legislation started in the early 90s. Um, they looked at 11 studies, 10 of which found no effect. There's no effect to secondhand smoke. And an 11th one uh, that they stopped collecting the data. And this uh, eventually was done by Wall in 1997. Okay. Now, we've had a lot more stuff since 1997. Right? The world's different than it was. Probably a lot more insane, but that's an entirely different discussion. Point is, um, we made a health, health decision, and it turned out to be the right one, but we didn't really have enough information yet, which is kind of wild. So, like I said here, I'm not saying it's good for you. In fact, I'm saying it's bad for you. Secondhand smoke is bad. Going out on a limb here, it's bad inside. I question if it's really that bad for you outside when you live in a place that has a steel plant in it. It's like sucking on a pack of export A's every day around here, but the thing is, most of the results actually don't meet the 0.05 criteria, and you would think, oh, oh, oh. but you know what, the 0.05 thing's all an artificial pile of garbage, right? And those of you in my 3256 class know about this, and hopefully Dwayne talks about it in 2126 and stats, or maybe Brandon if you're taking the biology stats, Point is, 0.05 should be worshipped. All the every single thing about secondhand smoke, it always goes in the same direction that it's bad for you. Just because it doesn't reach 0.05 doesn't mean you throw it away. So this is why we made a decision as a society in the 90s, like don't smoke inside anymore. Around other people. It's not good for them. They're not good for them. It's already not good for you. You shouldn't be subjected to it, is the point. So it's always went in the same direction. So we, it makes sense to be careful with public health. So at the time, people got really worked up saying, well, we aren't really going doing evidence-based policymaking. Well, they were, except that people were getting really too worked up about 0.05. You know, um, I used to live in Newfoundland, and every fall, sorry, every spring, we'd get a boil order on our water. We'd have to boil our water for 20 minutes before we could use it. And that was because of Giardia, a parasite that's very nasty. <coughs> a parasite that you could easily get rid of by boiling your water for 20 minutes. It's really simple. Now, I, I once asked a public health official, because I was interested. I said, what significance level do you use? And the guy said, 0.15. And I said, oh, that's pretty high. He said, yeah, well, I'd rather that people had the inconvenience of having to boil their water than shit themselves to death, which is what happens if you're old or young or immunocompromised with Giardia, you basically poo till you die. Which doesn't sound like a good time. And you can prevent it by boiling your water. So I mean, that's what happened. And that made cold, and when he said that, it's like, oh, that makes complete sense and exactly the kind of decisions that public health officials make. So I don't think people who said that secondhand smoke was fine, I, like I said, I don't, I don't see how it's that bad outside. Um, and I kind of wish we'd just say things like, no smoking on campus. No, why? It's gross seeing cigarette butts. I'm all for that. I don't think you're also supposed to spit out your old gum either. Like, anyway, we just care about your health. It's not about your health. It was never as clear as it was made out to be as far as individual studies. But we don't do science in a vacuum. It's not just individual studies. It's overall stuff, OK? All right, questions on nicotine before we move on to finally an actual safe drug. Yes, John, sorry. So um, what do you do when you uh, smoke too much and uh, oh, that's a good question. do nicotine? Yeah, so too much nicotine can lead to, like, can you OD on it? You could. Uh, it's a stimulant. It's always hard to overdose on a stimulant. I can also tell you that at very high doses, it can lead to visual hallucinations. That is, those, by the way, are really scary doses nobody should be involved in. You want to have hallucinations? Seriously, I think it's probably safer to go drop acid <laughs> than to take that much nicotine. I don't think that's probably very good for you. Not that taking enough acid is great for you. 
Yeah, good. That's on the open internet too. Hi, everybody. I'm telling students to drop ass. Um, <laughs> tune in. Uh, do you know how much nicotine you would need to? How much you need to hallucinate? Um, I know that the lethal dose is a lot smaller than we think it is. Uh, for somebody like you or me to hallucinate. Yeah, I don't know offhand, actually. Just I know it would kill you. Yeah, like, if you so ate a pack of cigarettes, <laughs> you'd die. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, most people don't do that. What, what normally happens is people's kids eat. Oh, that's awful. Yeah, and kids do die every single year from eating cigarettes. Because, like, a two year old, like, a one year old, they'll eat anything. Have you ever hung out with a one year old? <laughs> My sister once put a screw up her nose. And an apple seed. We don't know where those came from. But my sister was taken then to the doctor and the doctor said, I think I found the problem. And he pulls out a, a, a little Phillips screw and an apple seed. Hi, Steph, hope you're listening. <laughs> All right, let us talk about caffeine. Let's talk about something legal and safe and fun that we all do. This is the most psychoactive, popular psychoactive drug in North America. It may be the most psychoactive, popular psychoactive drug in the world. In fact, it probably is. There are whole swaths of the world where officially people don't drink alcohol, but they drink a lot of coffee. So. Thank you. Well, let's see how you did. <laughs> kind of mean, right? So. Uh, Mo How many people here actually don't ingest caffeine? Anybody here who doesn't ingest caffeine? Y'all do, right? Yes. Usually I get some people first with their hand up and I say, you're not a chocolate bar? <laughs> then they study, oh yeah. So we all do. In fact, about 85% of North American adults are dependent on caffeine. In other words, we have withdrawal symptoms from caffeine. There's a caffeine molecule. I'm sure you could all look at that and go, oh yeah, now I know what that does. Anyway, let's move on. <laughs> so, where do we get caffeine? Well, coffee, and I've got some sort of, I guess we'll call these average amounts of coffee, or sorry, caffeine per um, delivery mechanism. So, coffee, about 130 milligrams in a decent cup of coffee. I like strong coffee. So, when I drink a mug of coffee in the morning, I'm probably taking it with that much. Uh, black tea, about 40 milligrams. I've heard people say things like, well, you know, the caffeine in tea isn't active. And I look at them and go, you're an idiot. Uh, what does that even mean? It's still caffeine. Uh, let's see, uh, soft drinks like Colas, between 30 and 90, there was a, there was a caffeine, uh, there was a super caffeinated cola called Jolt Cola uh, in the 90s that was around. It was probably around 90 or 100. A, a Coke is around 35 or so, or a Pepsi. Um, cold and headache medications often have caffeine, between 15 and maybe 50 milligrams. It's not a lot. Red Bull, uh, maybe much as little as 30, but as much as maybe 100 or 150 in a larger can. Um, it's basically the same as a cup of coffee, but it tastes shitty. <laughs> and it sponsors an evil racing team. Two of them. Really, only one's evil. Alpha Tauri aren't evil. They're just weird. Not Isn't that there good. A third one now, Was that? Isn't there a third Red Bull team now? No, I think it's just two. There are Red Bull teams like F2 and F3. I can bring anything into Formula One if you want. Like, I can. Uh, chocolate. A lot of people don't remember that realize it's about chocolate. Uh, I don't sometimes realize it's a chocolate. Sometimes I'll be lying there at night eating chocolate covered almonds going, oh, after I've had like 19, go, this might have been a mistake. <laughs> I might be awake for a while. Uh, such a chocolate bar. Or as a student in Newfoundland once said to me, I want you to chocolate bar back. Which is how much is in a chocolate bar? That's when I looked at him, I said, I'm sorry, I don't understand your ridiculous accent. Um, it's fun, it's all in fun. They knew what I was kidding. Uh, let's see what else. Oh, wake up pills. So, you know, no dose, those kind of things. Some of them are as much as 500 milligrams. But a, a regular pill, like if you get there, that's like a cup of coffee. 
It seems to me, why don't you just have a cup of coffee? It's much more delicious. Like, I, they're not a pill. Uh, almost always, Do you want to say that now? Yeah, almost always taken orally. <coughs> I might have taught this course before because I literally know the words on the slides by heart. Um, you can take caffeine other ways. Uh, so you can, for example, with the pills, you can crush them up and snort them. Ask me how I know that. <laughs> Misspent youth. Uh, you can snort anything. It's not a good idea always, but usually isn't a good idea. I'm just saying, don't do that. But uh, usually take it orally. You, you can inject it. Again, we don't usually inject caffeine, but you might be injecting caffeine in certain situations uh, as a stimulant, because it is a stimulant. Crosses the blood-brain and placental barriers. It's absorbed a little more slowly from cold beverages, so you don't get the same caffeine kick from a Coke right away that you get from a cup of coffee. You still get one, but you know how you can have a cup of coffee and almost within about five minutes go, well, now I'm human again. Doesn't quite happen as quickly with a Coke or a Pepsi or whatever cola you're drinking. Less than 2% of it's excreted. We are caffeine metabolizing machines, adult humans. We are good at this. I don't know why we're good at it, but we're good at it. By the way, sometimes people, some people have said, isn't it a weird coincidence that coffee and caffeine sound so similar? Well, that's because we named the drug after the plant called coffee that it comes from. That's not a conspiracy. Jamie, you look like you had a question. No, I'll, I'll oh, ask yeah, question. Okay. Okay. Um, I was just wondering, so you said it absorbs more slowly in the culture. Yeah. So that would mean if you had a hot cup of coffee, it would absorb more slowly than coffee? An iced coffee would be colder, it would take okay. longer for the iced coffee. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so if you drink like those uh, Tim Hortons abominations in the summer, you might find that you don't get quite the kick you get from a hot cup of coffee. You will eventually still get the same effect, it just takes a little longer. Um, the half-life of caffeine in us, so adult humans that are caffeine users, I think, again, if, if you're all caffeine users, it's probably closer to 30 minutes in you than it is to three and a half hours. I think most of us know, they don't necessarily know our half-life of, of, of caffeine, but we know how well we metabolize caffeine, don't we? My mom can drink coffee constantly. My mom has this ability to have a cup of coffee and go to bed. It's creepy, and she always has. Uh, I, I drink maybe two cups of coffee a day. You might guess that I don't actually need a lot of caffeine. I, I, kinda, I kinda have my own stimulants, uh, just being me. Metabolism is slowed by birth control pills. So in fact, you'll find that uh, women here who are taking birth control pills, that caffeine affects you much more strongly because it, it's not broken down as well. I see some nods from the women in the room going, oh, that, really, that's what did it. So <laughs> the weird thing is it's sped up uh, by broccoli. And why is that? I don't know. I just know that interesting fact. And it's also two times faster in smokers. So smokers, you know, it's funny, you think cigarette and coffee often go together, at least they did for a time. Um, that makes sense because the, 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 they, they ingest more caffeine because it, 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 it's broken down more quickly than smokers. So this was all with adults, at least not kids. So adults is probably a little strong. Um, for sure about adults, I can even go down to maybe as far as five or six year olds. It's one of those weird things though that when our, you know how sometimes your mom says stuff when you were a kid and they say you, you, you can't do that, you're not, it's for adults, it's for grown ups, you can't have coffee. And you thought, oh, but I want some, because you're stupid. <laughs> your mom was right on that case. Yeah, Liz. Uh, so it, it's metabolized Yeah. that makes it more yeah. yeah, because it's not getting broken down. Okay, I mean, yeah. like, uh, so nicotine makes it, like, less intense? Yes, yes. Now, in the end, it doesn't matter, because the smoker's also just ingesting another stimulant, so. Yeah. 
you know, it'd be like saying amphetamine isn't as bad if you're already taking cocaine. <laughs> they really have the same effect in, in the in the long run, or short running. Right. Um, Where are we here? Yeah. So, in kids and infants, especially infants, but this can really. I've seen data up to like 12 year olds. So to me, to be completely safe, I'd probably say puberty, but. I think it's probably okay for a kid to have a Coke now and then, or some chocolate at Easter kind of thing. You know, don't be a uh, humbug type. <laughs> but I wouldn't be giving kids under five a Coke. I just wouldn't do it. You, you, you'll, they'll be up all day and all night. Uh, the four-day half-life kills me. <laughs> it's like, also, don't give your dog any coffee. Because they... Their metabolic pathway is different than everything, too. It's wild. In fact, they're much more similar. Uh, little kids are much more similar to non-humans in how it, it all, they're all their numbers about caffeine, so it's a half-life, etc. There's something special, and really, caffeine is very safe for all of us. Um, I mean, can you have too much caffeine? Sure, but it's lots. It's a very large number. It's a large enough number that it's pretty safe to use caffeine in research studies. And I've, I think there's at least one this term honors student uh, using caffeine uh, as, uh, in, in their experiment. And I've had a couple others in the past, too. And it's not like we have to go through a giant human trial thing. It's caffeine. We both of us ingest caffeine. We don't quite know how it works. The nice thing about all the legal drugs is we don't quite know how they work. Um, heroin we understand completely. <laughs> so here's some guesses. This is the best guess that, this is the current state of thinking. But it's been the current state of thinking for a very long time. Um, so adenosine builds up dur during the day and it makes you drowsy. Okay. But, so it's a neuromodulator and it inhibits firing of, 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 neuro, of neurons. So caffeine seems to block adenosine receptors. Okay. Without making, getting the adenosine re released. It's kind of acting like the way the lock cell works. So you'll often hear people say, caffeine doesn't make you awake, it makes you not tired, which to me is a distinction without a difference. But I see what they mean by this. What they mean is it's blocking the thing that's making you drowsy. It's not making you awake, but that's often, I, I, like I said, it's a distinction without a difference. I mean, in the end, it doesn't matter. But that's probably what's going on with caffeine. High doses can block benzodiazepine receptors. So if you do show up at emergency and you've had too much diazepine, too much value, they will, in fact, that's the, one of the cases where you might get uh, intravenous caffeine. Yes, John? So um, does caffeine disinhibit? Yes. So what it's doing is it's inhibiting inhibition. So the inhibition, I don't have to point to that. I can do it with this. Where are we here? So the, the inhibition means it's, it's inhibiting adenosine, and adenosine is an inhibitor, so it's inhibiting inhibition. It's disinhibiting. And this is why people say, well, it's not really making you awake, it's making you not asleep. And I usually look at people who say things like that and go, yeah, and that means what again? They sound very much the same. It'd be like saying to somebody, no, it's not. I, had a, I thought I had a good analogy there, but it's not. So I'm going to leave, let that go. And I thought it was kind of funny, and I thought, no, it's not that funny. This is the thought. This is how this is, this is called editing on the flesh. a PhD mind right here. What's going on? Nothing. Nobody just even just smiles when I screw like that. Anyway, <laughs> thank you. Um, this might cause the release of epinephrine. Uh, look, more recent data seem to show that it does. 
So we get release of dopamine in the nucleus accumbens. Oh, really? <laughs> yes, of course we do. It's, 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 it makes you feel it, it's a, it's a That's your reward system. Right? Causes smooth muscles to uh, relax and uh, striate muscles to contract. The striate muscles are the ones that make you move muscles or right organs, right? So because of that, it's a performance enhancer, right? It also decreases airway resistance. So it's actually very good if you have asthma or, or a cold or you're stuffed up. And literally, because of the way conditioning works, because this assumes you drink coffee, okay, you can literally clear your sinuses a bit by making a pot of coffee or a cup of coffee. And it's completely because of classical conditioning, because your body's like, oh, caffeine. And it's not any caffeine. Like when you smell coffee, it's not like you, yeah, you're smelling some caffeine, but not enough to make it a difference. Now, I'm not saying this is a way to, this isn't, that's how you cure COVID or something like that. What I'm saying is that it's an interesting phenomenon. Right? Uh, and it goes together with the idea, you know, one of the withdrawal symptoms from caffeine is basically being stuffy and having a stuffy nose. So your body's like, oh yeah, that's caffeine. And it's not. But it is used in a lot of cold medication. A lot of cold medication. And it causes constriction of blood vessels in the brain. And dilation in other places. Okay. It does release dra reduce drowsiness and it reduces boredom. This is something that you can measure. You use that. You, you can measure boredom using questionnaires. It's pretty simple. Uh, and then you give people caffeine and they're less bored. There's a really good reason why if you're sitting in a long class or something, having a coffee is not a bad idea. You know, and I don't drink coffee usually after, I usually have one in the morning and sometimes one in the afternoon. But if I'm in a meeting, I have to drink coffee because I can't stand hearing the voice of people I work with. <laughs> Most of them just drive me insane. I'm kidding, eh? You understand that I'm kidding? It's mostly Dwayne I'm talking about. But, <laughs> It's not Dwayne, it's Paul. But, <laughs> it increases fatty acid levels, so it could be performance enhancing, especially for long athletic events. It's, so it's a controlled substance, not a banned substance. So it's not a banned substance like, I don't know, steroids. Okay, or, or amphetamine is a banned substance. Pseudoephedrine is a banned substance. Caffeine is not. Um, when asked, when you, when you ask like doping officials from like WADA, the World Doping Authority, those, those folks that set up all the rules for the Olympics and International Ice Hockey Federation and all these other organizations, and you ask them, because they get asked, why isn't caffeine a banned substance? Why is it only a controlled substance? And they say, we don't want to stop people from having a cup of coffee for their breakfast. No, seriously, that's all it is. Uh, because it's so ingrained in the way a lot of people have their morning. Now, the amount that you'd have to take to reach, for the average person, they'd have to, amount of caffeine that they'd have to take to not win an Olympic medal is about, yeah, let's go with 10 cups of coffee at once. So in other words, it's pills. At that point, it's like about 1,000 milligrams on average would be enough to probably take get you the test would be enough that you wouldn't, uh, you'd have your metal taken away or whatever, uh, and no one's ingesting that much. Now, I'll say this, athletes do take caffeine just up to the limit, usually. Yeah, it's just wondering, so if it constricts your uh, blood vessels in the brain, does that have any effects on, like, the performance of your brain in high doses? Or? Yeah, like, that's a really neat question, because I was thinking about that, I've, I've thought about that before, and I don't know the answer to that, I don't know. I think it might all, though, as an aside, it might be why it could be a migraine trigger. Um, but yeah, I, I, I doubt it. I doubt that would have an effect that could be measurable. Oh, on cardiac performance. Okay. Yeah. 
So it's a controlled substance. But for long athletic events, it might, you know, especially, like if you're, you know, uh, running a marathon, cycling 80 or 100 kilometers, something like that. And in fact, when you walk, uh, there's, a, there's a wonderful program uh, on, on, on uh, Amazon called Eat, Race, Win. And it's about, it's kind of like Drive to Survive from Netflix, except it's about bicycle, bicycle racing. So it's with the guys in the Formula One, the Formula One of cycling, the, the, the Tour de France. And it's amazing watching because the amount of coffee these guys drink is unreal. The amount of food they eat is unreal too. You know, when you ride 180 kilometers a day for a month, I think you need a little bit of fuel. Uh, so the amount of food they eat is crazy, but the amount of coffee they drink in the morning, it's just like, it's lots. And it isn't like cups. They just drink little shots of espresso. Bang, 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 bang. <laughs> of course, as you know, cycling has no doping issues. <laughs> How about that Lance Armstrong? Um, now, please, let's be clear. It wasn't coffee. Um, but yeah, cyclists drink a lot of coffee. Marathon runners drink a lot of coffee. Because that's where it is. It's available and it tastes good. But yeah, controlled substance. It increases time in light sleep. I think we all know this. I think we all know that when, you, when you've had too much coffee, you still sleep well. You, you spend too much time in light sleep and not enough time down in REM sleep where the, where the good stuff happens and the weird hallucinations happen. Um, and it can counteract bar barbiturates. So again, high doses, if you show up and you've taken a lot of phenobarbital at a hospital, one of the first things they'll do is they'll just hook you up with some caffeine, IV, uh, because it's pretty safe and it will counteract it. Uh, by the way, it won't do anything for alcohol. I mean, we, get, we all have this idea that all that it will do is make you a wide awake drunk. Yeah, make you a wide awake drunk. Doesn't stop you from being drunk. And one of the issues is that we have learned over our lives, in our drinking careers, that being drowsy is one of the things that tells you, yeah, I probably should slow down. But when you're drinking Red Bull and vodka, you don't have that anymore. So you might drink too much alcohol. And I blame all of that on Max Verstappen. Red Bull, nobody? Okay. Let's go Formula One. Uh, small doses with rats increase spontaneous motor activity. Spontaneous motor activity is easy to measure. I told you about before, put rat or mouse on big board, have him run around, count how many lines he crosses. Large doses do the opposite. Large doses here would be the equivalent of me giving you, you know, 30, you know, 3,000 milligrams of caffeine. It would be unpleasant as hell, and you'd probably just sit there going, <laughs> which is why you wouldn't be moving around much, right? I mean, that's probably what would happen. It increases FR responding. That makes sense, right? Faster, faster, faster responding. Remember, FR is the ratio of responses to reinforcers, right? So that could be a timing issue. That probably is. And it increases suppressed behavior. Suppressed behavior is if, okay, it works like this. I train you, you're a rat, and I train you to push a button for food, and you learn pretty quickly to push the button, or the bar press, because you know, you're not stupid, you're just a rat. But then um, I also pair uh, a sound with a shock. I'm gonna shock you on the floor. You learn pretty quickly that the, the sound predicts the shock, and you stop behaving. Right, you stop doing anything. A lot of times animals will, they'll, they'll, they freeze. So they stop, they, it suppresses their, their bar pressing, their, their behavior, so it suppresses it. The reason we do this is because we can measure it. It's not because we like being mean to rats. Um, but it's easy to measure. You can actually get a ratio of when the shock is on versus when the shock's not on. So you can get what's called a suppression ratio. Okay. It generalizes, this is interesting, it generalizes to cocaine. So if I teach a rat that pushing a bar to get caffeine 
around and learn that pretty quickly. And then uh, I change it up and it's like, now the bar leads to cocaine, the rat's got no problem, can totally move into that, but not amphetamines. Which is interesting. I don't know why it doesn't work with amphetamine. Cocaine and amphetamine are somewhat different, though we're, I mean, we're gonna talk about them at the same time, because they're basically very similar drugs, but they act somewhat differently. And it could just be that, excuse me. Maybe I should have had a cup of coffee. So the effects of caffeine, um, we are, humans are so good at discriminating caffeine that you can tell the difference. If I give you a pill and say, does this have any caffeine in it? And I give you another pill and ask you the same thing. You can tell me, even if one of the pills is only 1.8 milligrams of caffeine, that's not even a sip of coffee. Adult human caffeine users can say, that's got caffeine immediately. Jim. Did you say that SNA was smooth motor activity? Spontaneous motor activity. Oh, thank yep. you. Yep. So yeah, 1.8 milligrams is nothing. It's nothing. It's not even a sip of caffeine, of, of coffee. How many sips are in a cup of coffee? It's gotta be at least, you know, it's gotta be under 50. That's a 50th of a cup. Like, that would be that then. I mean, come on. That's amazing. We love our caffeine. So caffeine has a, will make you feel energized, focused, motivated. And it does that non-users too. So it's not just users this happens to. It also happens in non-users. Now, that's at low to moderate doses. So that's between, well, 20 milligrams is what? half a cup of tea, 200 milligrams is maybe two cups of coffee. And that's how we feel, right? When you, you know, even if it's not the, uh, let's, let's take out the morning when you wake up and you haven't had caffeine in so long, you have withdrawal. Let's just think about before class or something, having a cup of coffee. You, this is how you end up feeling, right? It's like you, you focus yourself, you're energized. That's, again, low doses. But that's not a lot of caffeine. Right? My iPad. Oh, there it is. Now, um, things are different with non-users. By the way, sustained use actually leads to more adenosine receptors, which is one of the ways that we figured that it must be adenosine playing a role here. Um, if you change, if you give a when I say a big dose, we're talking 500 or more milligrams of caffeine to an adult who doesn't ingest caffeine. This is an extremely unpleasant experience for them. As we all use caffeine, we are used to the fact that our hearts beat, beat faster. You don't even notice it anymore, because you're, you're used to it. But if you never had caffeine and you suddenly had the equivalent of five cups of coffee in you, you'd feel can't be pleasant, right? It starts to feel like a panic attack. <laughs> that doesn't sound fun at all. Most things that have attack in them aren't good. I've, I've discovered that. Again, PhD right here. So you don't give caffeine to non-caffeine users, and one of the things I know that whenever we've used caffeine in uh, research experiments here, one of the exclusion things is, do you ingest caffeine? If you don't, you can't be in the study. You just can't, right? So I think this, by the way, withdrawal symptoms, so dependence happens at a cup of coffee a day for the average adult. A bunch of drug addicts. <laughs> you go score, you go get your fix. <laughs> I keep trying to find something in the coffee so I can call them a, a low life, but I don't see one here. Uh, are there any paradoxical effects with caffeine? Okay, go for it. Like, for some people, do they experience like the paradoxical effects that we talked about with our Oh, people? oh, I see. So like this, yeah, ah, geez, I haven't read that. It wouldn't surprise me because it happens in all kinds of other drugs. Um, I don't know of anybody who feels really then again, I just mentioned my mom <laughs> drinks like 
I don't know, I think my mom keeps Brazil's economy running with the amount of coffee she drinks. So. Isaac, you got something? Yeah, I have a friend who says that caffeine is the sleep. Yeah, I mean, it's possible because those paradoxical fix do exist. Um, I guess it's possible, yeah. I, I, I haven't, and like I said, when we talked about paradoxical effects a couple weeks ago, I, no one really knows why it even happened because it's not like those folks have completely different biochemistry. They <laughs> work the same way you and I do. So I don't know. But yeah, maybe. I haven't heard of any cases like that, but then we have Isaac's friend who claims it, so now I have heard of the case. <laughs> and like I said, my mom drinks a lot of coffee. My dad did too. It was more noticeable with my dad because he was just a little intense. By a little, everything about me times 10, <laughs> except the education. That's the only difference, though. Everything about me times 10. Oh, right, let's go back. Um, the withdrawal symptoms, I think we know. Flu-like symptoms meaning stuffy nose, kind of feeling disoriented, run down, okay? Um, just feeling like a, just like you hate everybody. Or as I often say when I wake up in the morning, I hate all things and all people. Then you have a cup of coffee, you go, no, people have improved. Uh, <laughs> so it's not the people, then it's the coffee. The big one is the headache. I think most people have this. Um, and this is another one, just the just overall, basically shitty attitude, <laughs> right? The, until you have some coffee or other caffeine, some people drink other things. I had a colleague who used to work here, former colleague in the psych department, she's retired, but Cheryl, uh, I'm sure she thought none of you because I think she retired like five years ago. But uh, Cheryl used to drink Diet Coke, and I mean, did she ever drink Diet Coke? Her office was mostly empty Diet Coke cans. I can say that now, because it's never gonna get back to her. Still kind of afraid of Cheryl. She drank a lot of Diet Coke. She didn't drink coffee at all, but she, boy, did she drink Diet Coke. So some people do that. Um, how many people here, out of curiosity, I mean, if you don't want to, you don't have to, but I mean, how many people end up often with a bit of a headache in the morning? Do you have that? Yeah, a lot of us, eh? What about the stuffed up? Do you get those? Yeah? And just the, just the, it goes away from coffee. Yeah, okay, good. Yeah, so we all know these symptoms. We recognize these symptoms, right? But you shouldn't be concerned. This is not a dangerous thing to be worried about. Okay? It's not, this isn't like you're getting up and doing a couple of bumps of cocaine. This is... Okay, it must be reinforcing. We know it is. We know it actually operates directly on the reward system. I talked about that. Um, it's hard to get animals, non-human animals, to self-administer this stuff, as you can probably imagine. But it will prime cocaine use. So you, if you get a rat, give a rat cocaine, it will make the rat more likely to choose cocaine if the rat has learned that pushing a certain bar leads to cocaine. There's a lot of variation in humans in how we ingest caffeine. Um, some people ingest free, you know, ingest mass quantities of it. But it will depend on the task demand. Like if you're doing something, like I said, having a meeting with a bunch of people at work, you might want a cup of coffee to keep you on task, on focus. On the other hand, uh, I don't tend to drink a lot of coffee in the, after, in the evening, in the afternoon. Uh, when I'm teaching, I'm, I'm awake enough, that kind of thing. So we kind of use it as a psychological tool. The demand is relatively inelastic, and as I note here, in, 19, in the 19, late 1970s, coffee hit $6 a pound because of the bad frost in Brazil. So bad that coffee, you gotta do the math on this, that's about, that's between $45 and $50 a pound for coffee today. And people still buy coffee. It's like, well, I guess the kids can't have food, but we're gonna need some coffee. <laughs> people cut down a bit, but Mostly it was things like, well, I guess I can move over to tea, but it's garbage, I need coffee. <laughs> and uh, 
you know, ersatz coffee, things like chicory and stuff. Okay, bad things. Uh, does it lead to cancer? Uh, I got a question mark there. People probably don't. I didn't see any good data suggesting that. Caffeineism. This is basically um, a step before an overdose. I've done this to myself, not on purpose. I did it for science. Well, in a way I did, I was a TA for a class when I was in grad school and I had to go to the lectures and my God, I have never, you know how good I am? <laughs> Kidding around. This would be like watching the most boring professor you can think of talk about the most boring material possible. So it's like going to one of Paul's classes. So, no, really awful. And I was sitting there and I knew everything already. I was the TA, I didn't know I had to go to the class. And it was down the thing from my office. I bought a, whole, bought a whole pot of coffee once and I drank it during one class. And afterwards it was very unpleasant. It was all shaky. And my, I could feel my heart beating fast. Like it was just a stimulant effect. It was, but it's incredibly unpleasant and it lasts, it lasts a good 10 hours. So that was fun. Can you overdose on caffeine? Yes, uh, it's about, well, depending on the size of the person, between 30 and 80 cups of coffee. Clearly you're not taking coffee here. You're just taking pills. Uh, it's virtually, it's, it's a, stimulants are hard to overdose on generally, but also knowing just how, that's three grams of caffeine, not milligrams, grams, between three to eight grams of caffeine. That's a lot of caffeine. It's exceedingly rare. Does it happen? Yes. But it's exceedingly rare. Um, you'll hear about reproductive damage. Reproduction problems. Does it lead to chromosomal damage? This is one of my favorites. I've heard people say this, and they say, you know, if you put ca caffeine on the chromosomes, it damages them. You know what else does? Mother's milk. Chromosomes are supposed to live inside of cell nuclei. So, Sometimes people do really weird experiments. It can get to toxic levels. So when you're pregnant, you gotta realize, but again, you wouldn't be taking, drinking three at 30 or 40 cups of coffee when you're pregnant. Cardiac method uh, effects. It seems to depend on the method that you brew your coffee and also how much you drink. So, there was, people used to talk about how it could lead to like heart disease, but that's probably the oil in the, the cat in the coffee. And if you, with filter methods, it's a little worse than, or sorry, a little bit better than doing like a French press, which tastes better, because it has more coffee oil in it. But it generally, I wouldn't worry about that. I just wouldn't worry. Uh, there's a lot of other things to worry about with your, with your health. Now, um, this is a joke. But what I'm saying is that a lot of caffeine research is funded by coffee companies. And it's not one of these things. And I can also tell you that, by the way, when we get money to do research, we don't care where it comes from. I mean, within reason. If the Nazi party wanted to give me money, I wouldn't take it. But I mean, this is weird thing to say. Uh, <laughs> I don't know why they're giving up grants. But uh, if a coffee company gave you money, I know that anybody with any reputation at all wouldn't take the money if they said, and we want you to do this. That's just not how it works. But caffeine, the biggest co conferences about caffeine each year are funded by people like Maxwell. Like, I mean, coffee companies fund a lot of work. But caffeine's probably, it's, it's pretty safe. I wouldn't worry too much. Unlike the one before this nicotine, which, you know, when used as directed, you die. Any questions? Well, you look at that. I think we ended just on time. All right, thanks everybody.
So thanks for listening uh, to the lecture. Uh, I hope you got something out of it, as I noted in the intro. Um, these are copyrighted, uh, share like 3.0 Canada, uh, some rights reserved, so you can redistribute this all you want, but if you redistribute it, uh, you can't make any money off of it. Uh, and also, uh, if you mash it up, I get to mash up your stuff. Uh, most of the mu the vast majority of the music I found was on an old website called GarageBand, which doesn't exist anymore. Uh, and it was called PodSafe Music. So this is all music that I have, uh, that it's perfectly reasonable to, uh, put on these podcasts. Uh, if you are interested, I can oftentimes find the, the name of the band. The name of the band will be listed in the post. And uh, go look these bands up and, and buy their music. Because um, if they're cool enough to let me use this, you should be cool enough to pay 99 cents or whatever to buy one of their songs. Uh, on that note, I will see you next time.